Welcome to The Markets. Hello again, Orion Samuelson here. Dateline, Chicago, Friday, May 1st of 2020. And we're here for our weekly get-together to talk about markets, and uh, I generally would need uh, three to four hours to cover all of the activity of the markets, but we don't have that much time. So let's get right to it. And first of all, take a look at the closing numbers for the week. The Dow Industrial Average down 622 points. That's 2.5% closing the week at 23,723. The S&P 500 lost 81 points or 2.75%, closing at 28.30. And the NASDAQ Composite dropped 284 points. That's a little more than 3% to end the day at 86.04. All 11 sectors of the S&P 500 closed in the red, with energy companies suffering the largest percentage drop. And, of course, the corporate reporting season has crossed the midpoint. 275 of the companies in the S&P 500 having reported quarterly results. And of those, 68% have beaten the estimates. In aggregate first quarter, S&P 500 earnings are seen having fallen 12.7% from a year ago. That's a stark reversal from the 6.3% annual growth forecast that stood on January 1st. Some of these stocks today, Tesla dropped a little over 10% after company chief executive Elon Musk said in a tweet that the electric car maker's stock price was, quote, too high. Amazon.com shares slid 7.6% after the online retailer warned pandemic-related expenses could lead to its first quarterly loss in five years. Apple's quarterly results beat expectations, but the iPhone maker declined to provide current quarter forecasts, and its shares lost 1.6%. ExxonMobil dropped 7.2% after the company reported a drop in profit due to a massive $3 billion write-down on plummeting oil demand and oil prices. Rival Chevron Corporation posted a 38% profit increase boosted by asset sales, and it cut spending plans. It shares debt 2.8%. So the S&P 500 posted no new 52-week highs and two lows. The NASDAQ Composite recorded 17 new highs, and 12 new lows. And volume on the U.S. exchanges today, 10 billion, 170 million shares, compared with the 12.19 billion average over the last 20 trading days. As we take a look at uh, the... uh, Oh, maybe I should have done this story first. Let me do this story, and then we'll take a look at what's ahead for next week. But this story could lead, hopefully, to something very positive. Gilead Science, antiviral drug, I don't know who makes up these drug names, but Remdesivir, 
was granted emergency use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration today, clearing the way for broader use of the drug in more hospitals around the U.S. During a meeting in the Oval Office of the White House with President Trump, Gilead Chief Executive Daniel O'Day called the move an important first step and said the company was donating one and a half million vials of the drug to help patients. And then let me quote what he had to say. We're humbled by this being an important first step for hospitalized patients. We want to make sure nothing gets in the way of these patients getting the medicine. So we made the decision to donate about one and a half million vials. The FDA authorization applies to patients hospitalized with severe COVID-19 who require help from the oxygen machines. Gilead said the federal government will coordinate the donation and the distribution of remdesivir to hospitals in cities that are hardest hit by COVID-19. Citing the drug's limited supply, the company said hospitals with intensive care units and other hospitals that the government deems most in need will receive priority. Countries around the world are, of course, reeling from the coronavirus. There are more than one million cases, and over 63,000 people have died in the United States, where much of the country is on lockdown to contain the spread of the virus. Gilead said on Wednesday of this week the drug, which is given by intravenous infusion, had helped to improve outcomes for patients with COVID-19, the respiratory disease caused by the novel coronavirus, and it provided data suggesting it worked better when given earlier in the infection. Data released this week from a National Institute of Health trial showed the drug reduced hospitalization stays by 31% compared to a placebo treatment. Interest in Gilead's drug has been high as there are currently no approved treatments or preventive vaccines for COVID-19, and doctors are desperate for anything that might alter the course of the disease that attacks the lungs and can shut down other organs in extremely severe cases. So that's some good news. But the world market activity pretty much affected by the coronavirus and its impact on, well, first of all, people, but then on the industry. But we do go on, and so let's look ahead to next week to check the activities that are on the schedule. On Monday, the U.S. Commerce Department releases the data on factory goods orders for March. New orders for the country made goods is expected to have gone down 9.8% in March. U.S. insurer American International Group is scheduled to announce its first quarter results, a period marked by numerous catastrophes and the onset of fallout from the coronavirus epidemics. When Tyson Foods reports its second quarter results, it's expected to provide its outlook on what effect the closure of multiple meat processing plants will have on its overall production and sales in the current quarter. 
The company has been forced to shut a number of beef and pork processing facilities due to the uh, pandemic and has previously warned of the food supply chain breaking. Shale oil driller Parsley Energy is set to report first quarter results on Monday. Another shale producer, Diamondback Energy, which was one of the first companies to slash its 2020 budget following the oil price collapse, is expected to report it fall in first quarter profit. Then uh, the rest of the week will look like this. We will, first of all, focus on the U.S. jobs report to gauge the impact of the coronavirus on the country's employment. The U.S. Labor Department's non-farm payroll data will be on tap for Friday. Economists polled by Reuters forecast non-farm payrolls falling by 21 million jobs in April after dropping 701,000 jobs in March. The uh, employment report is expected to show on Wednesday, that's the ADP National Employment Report, that the U.S. private payrolls probably dropped by 20 million jobs in April. And then on Thursday, a report likely to show that initial claims for state unemployment benefits are likely to have dropped to 3 million for the week ended May 2nd. That would be down from a total of 3,839,000 for the week ended April 25th. On Tuesday, the U.S. trade deficit is expected to have widened to to $44.2 billion in March, and that would be up from $39.9 billion in the previous month. Then uh, the earnings report season continues. General Motors scheduled to report first quarter results on Wednesday, and the automaker expected to outline actions it's taking to blunt the damage done by the shutdowns. U.S. insurer MetLife is set to report first quarter results on Wednesday. The quarter, a period of historic market volatility spurred by the pandemic, will be a test of life insurers' hedging strategy. Federal Reserve Bank of Chicago President Charles Evans holds a drop-in media conference call on Tuesday. And uh, on the same day, there will be other Federal Reserve regional presidents appearing Basically on programs, but not in person. They'll be doing it by Zoom, because that is the proper or the uh, popular way to communicate for a lot of people, including families today. So then, when Viacom CBS reports its first quarter earnings on Thursday, investors will be looking at the company's ad revenue trend at a time when advertising spending by companies has taken a hit with some major event cancellations. And then on Tuesday, Walt Disney scheduled to report its second quarter earnings. People will be interested in how that kind of a touchy industry they can uh, get reopened for their parks around the world. Plant-based meat maker Beyond Meat is likely to post on Tuesday an increase in first quarter revenue and a decline in loss helped by partnerships with fast food chains, including McDonald's. 
Activision Blizzard is set to report on Tuesday. And they look for an increase in first quarter revenue, driven by the continued success of its Call of Duty franchise. And Electronic Arts is set to post a decline in fourth quarter revenue on Tuesday, hurt by a drop in sales of the physical copies of games from that company. The largest U.S. oil refiner, Marathon Petroleum Corporation, expected to post on Tuesday a loss in the first quarter as lockdowns to suppress the virus and the price war between the oil-producing nations sapped demand for its gasoline, its jet fuel, and other refined products. Mattel Corporation will report on Tuesday its first quarter results. The company expected to provide an outlook on sales of Barbie and Hot Wheels toys over the next few months, as again the pandemic has virtually shut down business activity and specialty toy stores in most parts of the world. On Wednesday, Wendy's company expected to show a decline in first quarter profit hurt by store closures and a slowdown in breakfast sales. And uh, then we'll take a look at agricultural commodities trader Bungie Limited will release results for the first quarter on Wednesday, a period when global supply chain disruption from the U.S.-China trade war gave way to the disruptions caused by the pandemic. The Match Group expected to post its rise in first quarter revenue as people sheltering at home spend more time on its dating apps, including Tinder and Plenty of Fish. Wednesday, when it reports first quarter results, U.S. auto parts maker Borg Warner expected to update investors on the status of its acquisition of Delphi, which it threatened to walk away from after Delphi drew down a credit line, as well as the fate of Borg Warner's tornado hit plant in South Carolina. DuPont will be reporting on Tuesday first quarter profit expectations riding on, again, the impact of the pandemic. And uh, let's see who else, because just about everything reported in the earnings report season will have been affected by the pandemic. So we... uh, We'll be watching the activity as it happens, and boy, as it unfolds every day, because it does just that. We're going to take a look at the agricultural picture. Uh, Mark Pearson will join us with his guest when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation is here to help. To help us make sense of everything that's moving the markets, we are joined today by Matt Bennett from agmarket.net. Matt, thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate uh, you having me on here, Mike. Well, let's talk about this midweek bounce we saw. We did have some pretty decent export numbers uh, across the board. Why don't you tell us what that means for corn and soybeans? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, you look Tuesday and Wednesday, we basically went in and tried to break this $3 mark again on front month May futures, and we weren't able to break through. Uh, so a couple of days in a row, it seemed like there was some selling. We saw a lot of buying show up, you know, as you looked. But uh, you come in here Thursday morning, you see export sales numbers that were actually rather large, both corn and beans. Uh, we, we saw really good uh, pork export sales as well. And so, yeah, I think the market – maybe feels like we're not going to be able to bust through three dollars maybe with uh, i don't think there's as much confidence we're going to do so and so uh, bottom line in my opinion uh, you see a little bit of buying show up maybe the selling has subsided a little bit just for the time being anyway now on the corn side as we look at that old crop number we can't get through three bucks when you turn around and look to the upside how much bounce are you anticipating here on some of this uh, this decent news we're getting amidst the covid19 pandemic Right. I, I think a person has to keep things in perspective. I mean, there's no question that, uh, you know, ethanol uh, is, is still an issue. I mean, whenever you're, you're, you're missing the mark that you need to hit to hit the USDA goal by 40 to 45 million bushels a week, you can't get super friendly just yet. We are hearing about a couple of ethanol plants coming back online this week. So, you know, I'd like to think that maybe we could uh, build a base, if anything, and have some support in here. But I don't think it's any secret that most people expect this May 12th uh, report to be anything but friendly so how much of a bounce could we see you know i think that if you could get you know a 15 20 cent bounce that would be asking a heck of a lot i think getting maycorn back up into the 320 uh, range would probably be about as far as what i could see at bounce do you see old crop soybeans moving much in either direction here over the next week you know, I think old crop soybeans, you could have a little more of a bounce, relatively speaking, what you could see as far as corn is concerned. Uh, the whole soybean complex is a different animal, I think, than, than corn. It seems to me like lately, uh, whenever the corn market's been under fire, bean market has seen enough spillover pressure, hadn't really been able to do much. But at the same time, you look at the soybean supply and band balance sheet and you look towards this May 12th report, I don't think you see near the bearishness that you see whenever you look over to the corn side of things. So I've got a little more hope there for soybeans. It's just a matter are we going to be able to pick up some of this export business that Brazil continues to enjoy? And I think seeing the real this week back off somewhat from the uh, making new lows every day type mindset, I think that's a really good positive development. Hopefully we'll see more of that uh, here coming up. We are seeing lots of planters rolling across the country. What's your take on planting progress here as we get through 2020? Yeah, you know, we talked about this a little bit before we came on. Actually, we planted, uh, we got along really good early on, but bottom line, we're sitting right now. We've got two inches of rain. Uh, I've had about four inches of rain over the last week, but we were super dry before we got that. You get north of me, there's parts of central Illinois had six inches or more in the last week. You get outside of this particular area, though, and I think there's a lot of progress, whether we're talking into the Dakotas, Minnesota, Iowa. Some folks in Iowa continue to tell me they're finished. Uh, at least with corn. And so, uh, you know, I think that next week you're going to see the fastest planting progress for that week, maybe since 2012. And uh, anytime you have really good planting progress like that, it's, it's pretty tough to say, I think we're going to lose a lot of acres of corn, which a lot of the folks are calling for due to the profitability situation. Well, that's the thing. So if we do get that fast planting progress reported on Monday, do you think that's going to be further weakness here on the new crop contracts? 
I, I don't know how it would provide much support. You know, I mean, if you see that kind of progress, you have to make the assumption that most of those 97 million acres are going to get planted. I'm well aware that we don't need to plant 97 million acres of corn. Uh, you know, that's a tough ball game whenever we're talking carryouts like we're looking at. You know, you start looking at the May 12th, and, and, and we put out our estimates like everyone else did. If you can get a pencil to get it under 3 billion bushels, I'd like to know how sharp that pencil is because we're, 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 we're safely above 3 right now. If you plug 97 million acres with trend line yield, kind of demand we're looking at, there's really no way to get below $3 billion. So, I mean, maybe you do, but, boy, I sure can't see it right now going to be a tough road to hoe. And Matt, when we talk about that, we've had the meat industry really facing some tough challenges. And yet this week we saw pork exports report a phenomenal number. What's going on there? And what does that mean for that market? You know, the bottom line, we've been looking for big pork export sales for a long time, you know, and we've seen them here and there. What's that going to do for, for pork? I think that the the main thing it can do is just stabilize the situation. You know, we've seen these pork prices up the limit. We've seen them back off significantly. It's really tough to guess where this thing's going to go. Obviously, everyone's seen and heard of people having to do away uh, with with some of their uh, pork. You know, whenever you happen to put animals down, that's not a good situation. It's no fun for anyone. Uh, but bottom line, we've got to figure out this packer plant situation. Uh, obviously, if I was working there, I'd have a different take on things. Then uh, we all know that we need to get it up and going. But trying to do so safely is certainly going to be something that's going to be a challenge for us moving forward. I think if you can do that uh, long term, I start to feel a heck of a lot better about prices being able to rebound a little bit. A lot of challenges ahead. Matt Bennett from eggmarket.net. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. As we go into the graduation season, I'm giving some thought to the graduating seniors from high schools and colleges and maybe even grade schools, how they're missing so many events and activities because of the shutdown on putting people together. So I've want to uh, start this segment with some good news from the National FFA Organization. The FFA awarded more than $2 million in scholarships to 1,323 recipients thanks to the generosity of 103 sponsors. More than 6,800 students applied online for the scholarships, with many of the applicants being considered for multiple awards, and about one in every four students who applied was awarded a scholarship. They were available to students pursuing two-year or four-year degrees or vocational programs, and the average recipient had a GPA of 3.82 on a four point scale. This year marks the 36th year for the scholarship program, which started in 1984, with 16 scholarships being offered. Since then, more than $50 million has been awarded in scholarship funds to the National FFA organization. And FFA members are the next generation of leaders who will change the world. And so we are excited to be able to support them on the next steps in their educational journey. Those are the words of Michelle Sullivan, Senior Manager of Local Engagement for the organization. 
And if you want to see a list of uh, recipients, you can go to the FFA.org slash scholarships. Recipients are listed first by the states in which their high schools are located, and then alphabetically by uh, uh, student first name. So congratulations to the FFA graduating seniors who have received scholarships through the FFA. I talk about this every year at about this time because... I know that for some parents, they're probably getting sticker shock uh, shock when they see what a college education for their young man or young woman will cost them over the course of the four years. But there is a lot of scholarship money available. Beyond the National FFA organization, there are agricultural companies, there are agricultural organizations, there are individuals. As a matter of fact, I'm one of them that makes the uh, investment in the future of agriculture in the United States by supporting a scholarship program for agricultural students at the University of Illinois. But the thing that I say every year is you have to go looking for the scholarship. It's not going to come looking for you. But you can find the names and the lists available at a lot of different sources. And, of course, your guidance director in high school can help. So before you pass out from sticker shock on the cost of a college education, have your student go to work looking for the scholarships and the scholarship money that is available. And... uh, As an individual, if uh, you are without heirs and are going to have some money when you leave this planet, uh, think about establishing a scholarship fund for agricultural students. Okay, there is some other news. Uh, This week we did see some activity on the part of China again. Sales of 264,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China reported yesterday. Of that total, 132,000 metric tons is for delivery during the 19 and 20 marketing year and 132,000 metric tons for delivery during the 2021 marketing year which gets underway on the 1st of September. The uh, other note, too, is the challenge that's faced by the meatpacking industry in this country. We have seen a lot of meatpacking plants that have had to shut down because of the COVID-19 concern. And by the way, we got to give thanks to those people in the meat processing plants that get meat from the ranch and the farm to the supermarkets and the dinner tables of not only the United States, but the world as well. I have said for many days during the past couple of months, there is not a food shortage in the United States. We have plenty of food, but we may have a challenge in the labor to get that food to the dinner table and the transportation that gets that food to the dinner tables of the United States and the world. And so 
I don't think many of you would want to work in the meat packing plants. Supermarket chain Kroger is setting purchase limits on ground beef and fresh pork in some of its stores. That report coming out today. The world's biggest meat companies, including Smithfield, Cargill, JBS USA, and Tyson Foods, have halted operations at about 20 slaughterhouses and processing plants in North America. And that has caused Kroger to limit some of the size of the purchases of beef and pork in their stores across the country. Okay, let's take a quick look at the closing prices at the end of this trading week at the Chicago Board of Trade. Pretty much a red screen. The uh, July wheat contract down eight and three quarters cents a bushel at five fifteen and a half. The July corn down two cents a bushel at three eighteen, and the July soybean contract down six and a quarter cents at eight dollars and forty nine cents a bushel. Turning to the livestock market, that's a green screen for me. The June lean hog contract up $3.75 at uh, the end of this trading week, $62.70 a hundredweight. The June live cattle contract up $2.20 at $88.15 at the close today. And the uh, May feeder cattle contract up a dollar fifty-five cents. We've done it again. We've run out of time. A lot to talk about. A lot to react to. And uh, we'll be back with you next week to share the stories on the markets involving agriculture. Orion Samuelson, thank you for joining us on the markets. Mm-hmm.